The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's Wednesday, which means it's time for Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, doing a little different one today because we're broadcasting from the new McCree Theater. And my apologies, uh, I was supposed to uh, have Chris Douglas on uh, in the first hour of the show today, economist from the University of Michigan, Flint, but he was... Uh, I, I, we didn't connect this morning, and there were problems uh, getting into the venue and getting up online and getting on the air and all that. So we started a little bit late, but thanks to Lily Anderson, uh, author of the Throwback List, for although I don't think she really expected it, but uh, being able to be tossed in uh, at the last minute to, to fill some time. 
But uh, I mentioned we have uh, a special, this is kind of a special post-election, post-mortem of, <laughs> of armchair <laughs> politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition, um, our panel of uh, our roundtable regulars uh, includes, of course, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And uh, on the right, we usually have longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. He's off for uh, something medical today. It's it's not a Section 8, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But we were fortunate enough to get uh, somewhat in, at the last minute, and it's been a while since George has been here, but uh, a little further to the right, we go to... Uh, <laughs> um, Imagine a writer by Henry Hatter. Writer, lecturer, and uh, podcaster George Moss uh, is joining us at the round table. Hi, George. I'm Good to see you. I see a lot of distinguished people here today. <laughs> <laughs> nice of you to say. And last but not least... Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley joins us at the round table. Good morning. Good morning, Wood. It's great to see you. Good morning, Wood. And, you know, it's, um, I mentioned it was uh, kind of of a different show um, on on two accounts. One, we're we're live at the uh, New McCree Theater. It's a great place. If you haven't been to a show here yet, they've just been here a short time, but they uh, this is the third new McCree Theater <laughs> that, no. that I've been to. I was going to say, in fact, that I went, went to double-check the address. The websites are confusing because some of the websites still show the <laughs> They address. haven't gotten they them all corrected the yet. <laughs> but, but, but see, the new McCree Theater um, got in on the arts millage yeah. in Genesee County. Yeah. So they have a funding stream that they used to have to really fight for, and kudos to, to Genesee County for having that available for arts programs like the new McCree Theater. And they're on Clyro Road, 4601. You can drop by and, and take a look around at the place today and watch us do the show. We'll be here for the next couple hours. Um, or. You know, just just come by, and knock on a door, and say, you know, I I came to an open house here a few weeks ago, one of one of my first uh, trips out after the, or I keep wanting to say after the pandemic, and you can't quite Not yet, quite. <laughs> but um, since before the pandemic yeah. is the new the new catchphrase, I guess. But uh, we're doing it in person, and we're doing it the day after a local election. Go ahead, Wood. Tom, Tom, I was just just um, sort of a, a personal privilege. Uh, you mentioned the new McCree Theater and, and the, um, the date on my license says that, uh, you know, I have a, I've been on, on this side of the ground for quite a few years, so I was around during the old, McCree mm-hmm. Theater. I um, uh, performed uh, when McCree Theater was in the old um, Father Blasco Hall, and yeah. um, um, tried my my hand at uh, the uh, thespian craft, and <laughs> uh, had a great uh, great amount of fun. Still have a, a ton of pictures. What was, uh, the, what was the play you were in? Well, I was in several. Oh. I, I, I was in several, but the one uh, Paul that uh, my wife. Uh, still uh, teases me about is that I, I played the role of Jesus um, in um, one play that was actually directed by uh, a Broadway actor, a guy by the name of Robert Cahill, 
Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, get in character and stay in character. And and so uh, one day, I, you know, I was you know, at home and uh, just uh, running lines, uh, and uh, it was garbage day. And uh, so she said, hey, Jesus, you know, uh, <laughs> who's going to put the garbage out? So I, I had to get out of character and, and do my husbandly uh, duties. Yeah, forget Moses well, and partner. Well, I was thinking from Jesus to mayor is a pretty good transition. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to go the other way and say, you know, well, they're both typecasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, and as long as we're on the subject of, of theater, just, just briefly before we get into uh, the things we're going to talk about today, um, I do want to mention there's a, a, an award-winning author who used to work in, he was a Hollywood filmmaker, and he used to work on crews like the one that had the accident last week. And he's going to be on the show tomorrow during the 10 o'clock hour. He's going to talk about what it's like to be part of a crew and what oh, they do oh, and right. where things can go awry. They're still I'll, trying to untangle what happened. In that. I've seen so many different stories about I exactly start with who touched the gun last and that kind of thing. I start with when you're doing make-believe <clears throat> and making a movie, <laughs> what's a real gun and real ammunition doing in the same yeah. area code? Mm. You, know, yeah. that, you know, they have all the technology to make it look real. So why not use, you know, plastic guns. Yeah, well, they had to do that with Edward G. Robinson because every time they put a blank in the gun and he pulled the trigger, he would flinch and they had to make so many takes he couldn't... Huh. He, he had a tough time with that, so they got around it. You know, they, they just click, click, click and, you know, they added the sound later and it always worked on me. I was always scared <laughs> of Edward G. You know? <laughs> well, don't blanks look different than actual cartridges? I mean, do they, they, they don't have an actual bullet in them, do they, or do they? I, I, that I'm not sure about. Um, actually, I've learned more about ammunition than I ever wanted to know <laughs> this last week because of that. In order to get the flash out of the barrel, they put an actual charge in, but they don't pack it with the projectile. Yeah. So it does actually go off like a bullet. Get smoke and that kind of thing. Yeah, and there's a little bit of a flash out of the barrel, and you know for. But anyway, we're gonna we're gonna dig deep on it tomorrow, yeah. during the ten o'clock hour with uh, Karu Papritz, I think is how you say his name. I get some people on this show, you guys, <laughs> where <laughs> I have to practice the names yeah. for a day before they come on. Uh, but but we always start armchair politics with um, a few quotes. The first one is always the finish the quote, which I modeled after Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. So we open armchair politics with finish the quote. That's where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. One of the reasons people hate politics is that truth is what? Than I, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> truth is sacrificed well the original quote is uh, one of the reasons people hate politics is that truth is rarely a politician's objective election and power are hmm. Hmm. any guesses on who said it hmm. would that be a current person I was, or I was say, uh, uh, recent Okay, um, no, it was it was uh, journalist uh, Cal Thomas. Oh, 
would have never. I was going to go with. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have guessed wouldn't it either. That's why I didn't want to leave you hanging too yeah. long on that. I wouldn't have been in 800 miles of yeah, that to answer. <laughs> well, here's here's one that caught my eye, and I think we've got. Uh, oh yeah, we've got we've got time to get this in. I guess I shouldn't apologize, but I do apologize for the fact that the United States, the last administration, pulled out of the Paris Accord. It put us sort of behind the eight ball a little bit. And Joe Biden. Kerry. Joe oh. Biden. No, it was President Joe Biden apologizing to other world leaders on Monday for the Trump administration's decision to exit the, mm. the Paris uh, Climate Agreement, saying during the United Nations Climate Summit that the U.S.'s exit put the country behind in, in its own climate goals. During the session, Biden also said the American people four or five years ago weren't at all sure about climate change, whether it was real. Was it appropriate for the president to apologize for a past president's actions? I always wonder about that. My, my thing would be uh, you don't criticize uh, the country off the soil of the country. You don't go outside and make a criticism against your own country. And I remember one time when um, uh, Mandela was over here and um, Gosha Budalese called in, they were on Nightline, and uh, the, uh, Mandela said, you know I'm on foreign soil. And he chastised, Buddha Lazy was calling from South Africa and said, and you know that the issue is no longer simple. So I, and I take that as uh, generic. You know, when you're, off, off the, when you're outside the country, you're representing your country. And I just think we forget that sometimes. We seem to just not really have the same respect for the country that we once had. And I some, you know, honesty is not bad. I mean, if you're if you're gonna have, if you made a mistake, own up to it. I think. But who else does that? Yeah. You know of any other country that has politicians going outside the country and criticizing the country from outside the landscape? Well, that may be their mistake for not doing it. You know, well, you represented your country yeah. on the outside. You're, you're a national well, representative. Well, it's it's taken a different turn in recent years. It, you know, I I remember when the whole Kennedy family. Um, traveled all over the globe, but they were always pitching democracy and freedom and promoting what the U.S. was about. Then there was, a, you know, a huge upheaval over when President Obama went over to the Middle East mm -hmm. and then customarily bowed to some of the uh, high-ranking officials, uh, <laughs> religious and otherwise, and, and there were people who were really troubled by the image of an American president bowing to anyone, ever. And it's, and it's understandable, but Obama had a little bit of an apologetic nature, and it, it, it seems funny now, here we are these years later, and Joe Biden goes overseas and says, yeah, well, sorry about America, we screw up sometimes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, George uh, raises, I think, a, um, uh, a good point that there are certain political norms that, um, you know, aren't Republican norms or Democratic norms or right or left norms. Um, just traditional. J 
Just traditional. Hey, but, we got to we got to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place 
where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're live at the New McCree Theater with this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, featuring uh, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki and uh, sitting in for Henry Hatter, we have uh, George Moss and uh, Woodrow Stanley, political emeritus, is uh, joining us at the round table. You're welcome to drop by and check out the New McCree Theater. It's, it's, this is beautiful, fun for us because we get setting. to do the show in person. But it's also nice to get out and, and be in these great spaces, and this certainly is one. You should check it out. And see the shows. The shows are phenomenal. Um, I was saying, I was on my third uh, uh, new McCree Theater, and Wood goes back to the old <laughs> McCree Theater, and, and you were talking about uh, the, the date on your, your driver's license. I, um, I hit uh, 65 Sunday. This coming Sunday. That's right, yeah. yeah. Is that, now, is that counting the years that you didn't wear shoes, or is that all just in the, you know? That's just straight through. Just, just the right, years we're, we're we, keeping we, track of. George, George and I might <laughs> want some really evidence. Young, right? so. young man. I think he's a young, young, the yeah, young man here. Yeah, you're the youngest. It's been a while since I've been the youngest person <laughs> in the room. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to squeeze in one more quote, and then we'll start talking about yesterday's uh, election. Um, this is one that caught my eye. It's a little closer to home, too. My goal is to give advice based on science and data. No, um, none of this should be partisan. None of this should be political. None of this should be based on people's beliefs or prejudices. This should just be a very straightforward scientific response. Fauci? You would think, but it was actually the um, acting chief medical executive, um, Dr. Natasha Bagdasarian, brings a global view of the coronavirus pandemic to her new job as Michigan's chief medical executive. She was appointed by Governor Gretchen Whitmer in September to temporarily replace Dr. Joan A. Caldoun as the state's top doctor in the midst of a pandemic that has killed about 5 million people globally and more than 22,000 in Michigan. What are the chances a national search will produce a better selection for Michigan's top doc than uh, Dr. Bagdasarian? Hmm. Uh, have you read anything about her background or credentials? No, no. She's, you know, she was... Uh, at the heart of uh, the the SARS outbreak, she worked up close and personal with Ebola, and she's, I mean, she's been out there. She understands pandemics, hmm. and and she she's done the hard work, and she understands this stuff, and she just she doesn't play sides, you know. She mm-hmm. she knows what her experiences were dealing with these things. And that's what she's going to share with people. And 
politics be damned, basically. Right, that's, that's I, the I, ideal medical person in many ways. I don't, the, the, so the question of qualification, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, having served on some um, search panels and, and the like, so I don't, I don't know if qualification for this high of a level of position um, and at this moment in time. Well, you it, it, had is, to make is, that decision. Yeah, is right, it about administration or is it about knowledge in the field? Well, the, the I, my my, my um, uh, trust is always going to be in the chief executive and that process because when you're in this moment, you're not going to just put, you know, it's not going to be one of those situations where you're going to put three fingers on the scale and tip it toward too important. For another position, yeah, maybe. But the other part of it is that the whole process issue. Is it important to have a broad search to give the public assurance that you considered all comers, all qualified comers? Now that, I think, trumps just uh, saying, well, she has great credentials. I'm sure there are folks out there I'm not the guy that can make this call, but I'm sure there are folks out there with superior credentials. I'm certain of that. And I haven't even looked. But I'm certain that she isn't the people. most qualified yeah. person uh, who would consider this position in the country. But the public needs to know you searched and you found because what do we like right now when it comes to you know a lot of this stuff related to the pandemic? It's public trust. Exactly. Yeah, key thing you, is whatever trust. you can do to strengthen yeah. public trust, you do it. So it's not it's not qualification, it's process. Yeah, and I, I take it from another standpoint. I think that uh, this whole notion, uh, we get rid of into a lot of problems when we start talking about experts, and we look at the credentials, the number of D's behind their name that makes you an expert. And um, really, when I listen to them, and I do a lot of reading in the area of epidemiology. Uh, myself, so I look at what they say, and I look at the, what what they've written in in the reports, and uh, just start draw the conclusion that this idea of experts needs to be challenged a lot of times because uh, and I and I agree because you can be you can be trained in the discipline where the discipline itself is wrong, you can actually be trained in what is called science, and then the science itself mm. is suspect. Well, science changes too, and and, and, and well, that's that's why um, that's why I brought up the question of. Um, of, of looking into her background and a little bit because her resume isn't all letters. She's been out there in the field working up close and personal. So she has, you know, it, it, it's a lot more than just studying a program or a discipline, you know, because <laughs> I, I know what you're saying, yeah. George. And, yeah. uh, you know, in fact, I, I remember saying, coining a phrase a couple of years ago, the PhDs aren't what they used to be. Um, but I, th I think that is right. The key thing is trust. In, in so many institutions today, we've lost trust, and particularly with this pandemic, trusting the stuff we, that we used to rely on all the time, all of a sudden, uh, a significant fraction of the American population doesn't trust the experts, the science, whatever it might be. Yeah, Paul, what would happen if you put all the experts in a room and they were all talking? How much of the, the conversation would, would be uh, understandable because the mm -hmm. jogging yeah, would be so. True. Would it be a, 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 a group of babbling, yeah. like a babbling <laughs> brook? I mean, yeah. well, would, would how many there are, what would, and, would it and be? And that's another problem. Uh, I, I, I stay away from that word, yeah. um, ex expert, as much as I can. I was talking to a, uh, a, what was it, a corporate, corporate 
corporate sustainability expert. And, and I was bringing up the point that a lot of people don't trust experts <laughs> anymore. Oh, yeah. And, With goals. And I said, whatever happened to Carl Sagan? You yeah. know, I mean, he knew hmm. stuff. And, and the important thing is there was trust there. But uh, there's, uh, to George's point, you know, a room full of experts all of a sudden <laughs> becomes jargon and babble that <laughs> nobody yeah. understands, let alone trusts or believes in. And then every once in a while, somebody comes along like a Carl Sagan who knows the material, understands the material, and can speak to people in a way that they understand. And he's got a way about him that people go, I believe this guy. I think he means it. I, you know, I, I don't think he's making this up. I don't think he's quoting false, you know, faulty sources or anything. He's yeah. he's done the work, and you know, I, I think he's probably right. Mm -hmm. There no, are no, no, there no. are billions and billions <laughs> of stars. Yeah. Well, it re it's reduced down to. Um, I remember this one uh, economist said. Uh, to humble the idea of experts down to a level of being from Superman to man kind of thing is that you don't have one person on the planet who knows how to make a pencil. You know, it has graphite in it, it has wood, it has uh, eraser, tin at the end of it, and, and that kind of thing. There's not one person that can do that. So when you understand that when you say experts, there's not one person that can do that as simple as, as making a pencil. I mean, well, the number of people it takes to do that, you know, then you can see that the idea of experts, it, it, I just don't think, I don't think there are any experts. There's some people who are more scholarly in the area than other, other yeah, persons yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, it's the like the, the, the millions of dollars that NASA spent trying to come up with a pen that writes upside down exactly. and the Soviets use a pencil. <laughs> 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 yeah, common sense can make uh, Anyway, um, yesterday, uh, was an election um, around the country. We missed that. Wasn't one of the biggies, as they would yeah. say. It was sort of a mid midterm. Yeah, we had barely a 10% <laughs> turnout. Well, in fact, less than 10% flipped. Well, but that's not unusual for off year oh, elections, yeah. and this is an off off year. And this is the last off year for them. The next time is going to be in the governor's year. Mm -hmm. Well, next time it's the, the midterm. Oh, you mean the, the next the, the time next the that the council, council the right? Yeah. And uh, interestingly, and I, and I'm sure most people listening have heard already on, on earlier shows uh, this morning on radio and television, or maybe even seen it online. Uh, Flint City Council has six new members mm -hmm. starting today. Um, three incumbent incumbents are being returned um, Jerry Winfrey Carter and Eva Worthing and Eric Mays one re-election um, Kate Fields the uh, City Council President was vested by Allie Herkenroder and um, Alan Griggs was knocked out yeah. by uh, Dennis by Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer and uh, let's see um, oh Maurice Davis Lost in the primary. Lost in the primary, so that was an open seat. And uh, Two trying to think who else. Um, Monica, Galloway. Monica Galloway Galloway was an incumbent that didn't didn't return. And of course, there were two 
sitting council people who chose not to run for re-election. Yeah, we had just gotten chosen head of the municipal league right, as, right. as you were. Right. Right. What happens in a situation like that? Does she serve out her term with them, or does she step down for someone who's a sitting? Uh, I, it never happened uh, during my um, 20 years or so being active with the Michigan Municipal League. Uh, um, thankfully, it didn't happen during my tenure as president. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it, you know, uh, actually this morning, it, uh, someone asked me that. And so I said, I really don't know because I don't know if the rules say that you have to, you know, you have to be an elected official to be To elected. be a member. To be a member and, and you to must be elected be a member as an to be elected as an yes, officer, as an officer. I would think. So I assume, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that uh, that that follows through. There must be a contingency for <laughs> I, that. I, I, I'm would sure. Because as as often as offices turn over, people must come and go. Well, there there have been officers that have passed away, and then you know, like in the presidency, and then the vice president assumes the position. So, but I'm going to have to call down because just That's in case I get that yeah. again. Uh, later today, I'll know the answer. Because she just got elected within the I, last she, month or so. She right? actually, um, just quickly, she she called me the the day that she was elected because someone happened to mention that, hey, by the way, did you know that uh, Woodrow Stanley was the uh, last person from uh, Genesee County to be elected uh, league president? And um, I, I don't know if the picture that was on the wall gave her a hint, but maybe she didn't know, even though she probably, because all <laughs> of the past president's pictures are on the wall in the, oh. in the boardroom. Um, but so she called, and I, I really didn't know that she was that active in the league, and I complimented her on that because uh, it was a great experience for me. Um, and actually, I've always had high regard for the organization. But it it, it, it is it. a great resource, yeah. of, uh, and. Um, just was a tremendous experience. Well, Monica has, had, has been on my show several times, mm -hmm. and I remember when she first ran for that seat, and she's had, what, two, three terms? Mm -hmm. uh, this was going to be a... This would have been her third term. Third term. This yeah, would have been yeah. the third. So. Yeah. And I, I remember when she first ran, um, you know, she seemed like she didn't really understand what she was doing, and then the next time mm -hmm. she was on the show after she'd served for a little while you could really sense in her a curiosity mm -hmm. about how to do this and do this mm -hmm. right and you you could just feel the learning curve that she was on so it doesn't surprise me that she got actively involved with uh, the municipal league it, i was i would say this Tom, that uh, the league and and, and uh, I, I should say this that john northrup who served on the city council with me. And, and um, John and I didn't always <laughs> agree on, on uh, the political issues, but the, the advice that I, that I got from him that I will always be um, appreciative of, <coughs> my first term, and I hadn't been on the council probably six months, and he came up to me one day and he says, you know, just a little bit of advice. You ought to get involved in the Michigan Municipal League. I didn't even know what the Michigan Municipal League was. <laughs> you know, I was just, you know, trying to find my way around. And I went to a new members orientation and a guy um, who was the, um, the uh, executive director of the league at that time and former mayor of Ypsilanti said, hey, hey man, we, we don't get people from Flint 
down here very often. Hmm. And he got me involved in committees and so forth, just really mm -hmm. kept me engaged. That's the nice. whole point was they needed urban representation. They need folks from- Flint. And perspective. Yeah, mm -hmm. because the guys from rural Michigan and suburban Michigan, they were at the door, mm -hmm. lined up, had a number, <laughs> I'm next. And so um, I told John some years later, that, <laughs> you know, John, we've argued a lot. <laughs> but my man, that was great advice. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Nice well, it's, it's um, what, what did you all think? I, we were going to get, no matter what, three new yeah. city council people. Right. We end up with six. Two out of the three that got reelected were unopposed. Unopposed, That's yeah. Essentially, except for and, and so how big of a, a pushback against the council by voters in Flint is this over the disruptive meetings and behavior and all that. Um, you know, when when you have that much change all at once, what does it say? I saw it as a kind of an anti-incumbent spirit. You know I mean, the reaction, because the people who got elected were very diverse in terms of who they supported and opposed, but anti-incumbent feeling, I think. I, 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 I agree, and, and um, um, sitting in the parking lot, saw George coming in. I was finishing the conversation about, what, and I said, "Well, you got 30 more seconds because I got to be on a radio program. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be talking about what you're talking to me about." But, but, uh, and a part of it was just the point that you raised. What is the message? I mean, yeah. what what is the takeaway from what happened? And I agree with Paul that and, you and have to conclude. And what's funny is when you look around the the county at the ballot proposals and some of the other elections, they all it, it didn't seem like people were overly angry. They passed all of the millages yeah, that popped up on, on the ballot and, and handily, they weren't even yeah, yeah. close. 60, 60, 65%, 75%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, it's almost like the message is twofold. People want to get involved, they want things to work, and they expect more from the people that are representing sure. them, and so they want new people. You know what struck me in the out county, too, is that nearly all the out county elections were unopposed. I mean, there were elections, I, I have a list. Fly yeah, pick those. three, and there's two people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> near, nearly all of those had no, no opposition with, with one or two exceptions in all of the, out, the, the, the small cities and out county areas. Well, when persons are running unopposed, is that because the people are satisfied with the uh, leadership, or are they just so disinterested in in the political affairs that they're not? They're well, not, I think it can go either way, but yeah. I fear it's the latter more times than not. <laughs> but non-participation. Yeah. Type. Okay. It, yeah, I don't because I don't. I think there's well, a lot of discontentment out here, and you can feel a lot of the tension in the area. There's a lot of yeah. frustration that people just don't think that they're being well served by the representatives. I don't mean just in the local community, I'm talking about on a nationwide basis. You don't seem to have people that ha have a, a lot of confidence that the future is gonna be a lot brighter than the past has been. And a lot, a lot of pessimism uh, oh, about yeah. politics. Mm -hmm. it, 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 George, if I could connect to, to that point about what do you sort of, you know, take away from uh, not being opposed and, and uh, running with opposition. We had a lot of interest in the Flint races 
in terms of people who wanted to run and did run. A lot of interest there, relatively speaking. That was not connected to the turnout. Not at all. Because I, that, that, that's, that's, that's yeah. the other part of, of, of that train, mm -hmm. is that here you have folks who want to be in the limelight, so to speak, and they want to be the leader, but somehow they didn't understand that a part of my job as a leader is to help create enthusiasm, to educate those that I want to serve so that they engage. And, and trust again, to go back to that same Right, 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 right. You, you engender, um, mm. engender trust. So we didn't see um, that connection to, you know, folks actually deciding to run and then people coming out to vote. Yeah. Um, I think except for the seventh ward, they, all the wards were below, were 10% or below turnout. Uh, well, no, let's, let's, let's run them down. First ward, Eric Mays, unchallenged on the ballot. There was right. a write-in candidate, but he was, by and large, unopposed. And um, that was 8.4% uh, turnout okay. in the first ward. Hmm. Now, For it wasn't a real sexy race, right, right, you, you right. know, so it was going <laughs> to be low. But then you go to the second ward, the one where Maurice Davis was knocked mm -hmm. out in the primary, and it jumps up to 10%. Mm -hmm. So people were kind of interested. And I think you have to give some credit to the candidates themselves. I think Liddell Lewis and Audrey Young were both good candidates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they... they they did attract some voters. Then you drop down to just below 8% in the third ward with A.C. Dumas and uh, Quincy Murphy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Quincy Murphy has run a number of times for things. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see him get a win. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's been an activist know. for so many causes yeah. around the neighborhood. He should get the career award. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, that dropped down to you know a little less than eight percent, and then uh, when you go to uh, Ward Four, that was the Cape Fields Judy Priestley mm -hmm. one. Judy Priestley won that over the incumbent Cape Fields, who was currently serving as council president when she wasn't being gagged. Um, <laughs> Six percent. Yeah, and that 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 should have been much of. Very contested race, but six percent turnout. Mm -hmm. And Surprising. then um, <clears throat> Ward Five uh, jumped down to. Uh, let's see, that was Jerry Winfrey Carter. That was uh, just under seven percent. Back up to ten percent in the sixth ward with Tanya Burns and Claudia Perkins. And again, right. you've got two very good mm -hmm. candidates. So the caliber of the candidates does seem to have an impact on turnout. Now we go to seven, we, you mentioned that already, it was up over 15%. You had Monica Galloway and Allie Herkenroder, and I think that was a hard-fought campaign. Well, I think they worked hard in that And there was a fairly serious write-in campaign, too. And I also think it says something about the people in the seventh ward, historically in the city of Flint, have yeah. been people likely to vote and participate. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I would expect it to be up there a little bit. And then we dropped down to a little over 8.5% in uh, the 8th Ward. Now we're going to run out of time.
And then it goes all the way down to 5% in uh, Eva Worthing's ward when and she ran unopposed. So we'll, we'll get back into this some more after we take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, 
Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continuing now live from the new McCree Theater on Clio Road in Flint with our weekly roundtable. Uh, George Moss is in for uh, Henry Hatter today, and it's great to have him back. He's kind of an alumni of this <laughs> group, an alumnus in any event. And, of course, Roundtable regular Paul Rosicki is here, and Woodrow Stanley joins us from time to time, and it's always a treat. So welcome back, everybody. And just before the break, we were breaking down what the voter turnout was in the various wards in the city of Flint, one through nine, and, and they're up and down. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just look at the county number of uh, whatever it was, 12. Was 12 or 13. Yeah, it was uh, between, yeah, it was about 12 and a half percent yeah. um, countywide average down. But it's up and down from 5% to 15%. Yeah. That's a big spread within the city. And, and we were talking during the break a little bit. And my apologies to the Attorney General that we weren't listening to the very clever uh, public <laughs> service announcement. But um, it shows us a couple of things, the up and down in the, in the turnout. It shows us in some wards people feel just completely left out of the system altogether, so they're not going to play. You know, if, if you don't care what I think or what I have to say, why should I bother to come out and vote? And then, and then in some wards you've got real fiery candidates good or bad and that stirs things up and makes it a little bit more exciting um as as we saw and there are so many things that play into this there were good candidates and in those wards they drew people um there are wards that historically turn out like the seventh ward but then there's wards like the first ward where there's hardly anybody left and you know <laughs> nobody feels like they're part of the system at all or that that the system is even working so what do we do about that i was going to say now one question is will this improve dramatically when we tie in the city council elections to the governor's race mm-hmm. with the new charter will we see a well we'll see increase? we'll I see more people so. participating you know? the big question is in in this particular campaign, in this, at the end of the day, if what we saw with six new council people was um, a, a city clamoring for change on a city council, we're not dealing with the elephant in the room, which is Eric Mays, who has has said he continues he want he's going to continue to behave the way he has always behaved. He's going to you know, make the points he wants to make and... Um, and he wants to be council president. And represent the way he represents. And that may be at the heart of what causes the, the council, or at least contributes significantly to the council becoming deadlocked and, and unable to function 
and yet he runs unopposed. You know, so people in the first ward didn't rally to get someone new. Um, you know, they seem happy with that. So, how do you how do you balance those two messages? Do you, you know what I'm getting yeah, at? Yeah. Wood? It's yeah. Let, let me let me say something. Two things. One, something about the people in the first ward. People in the first ward want the same thing that the people in the seventh ward back. See, so I, we, so we, we, I'm we glad you said that because we, I've asked a lot right, of candidates right, right. We, we, that. We don't, want, we don't want to, you know, diminish their aspirations or, or in any way compliment. On the other hand, you know, they want the same thing that the people, and you could take that comparison <laughs> to any city or state uh, in the country where you have different socioeconomic kind of uh, factors at play. So, so that's the one thing. The other thing is about Eric now, and by the way, and if he's listening in, uh, Eric, you have a call uh, coming <laughs> later today about this subject matter. Um, so Eric is a guy that gets a lot of attention and loves it. Um, but he wasn't the only player that was creating True. the mess. Uh, one of those players is Kay Fields. And um, she wasn't a And she, she's paid she, a price for she, it. She, and yeah. she should have. That's, that's, that's what you get. But, but the question then becomes, shouldn't Eric as well? Well, You know, he, if we he, want he, new he, people, if we want but, but a, a council to his, that behaves to his credit, To his credit, to his credit, if you go over there, now his behavior may not be what I exhibited in my tenure on the city council, mayor, county right. commission, wherever. But if you talk to the average person over there, even those that don't like the behavior on the city council, ask them if Eric responds to their needs. Exactly. Oh, we've, we've said that service. many so, times so, on this so show. So here's, here's what happens. People have, I've people, heard that too. people he, he will forgive certain things if you respond to their needs. Mm -hmm. He responds. And so that's why uh, he didn't have any opposition because there wasn't anyone that wanted to take him on because D he probably was going to win. D Dale Kildee uh, asked me once what? at lunch, uh, and he, he was facing an election with no opposition. And he said, I don't have anybody running against me. And, and he, he was lamenting because it makes it hard to raise money. He sure. said, you still yeah, have yeah, to absolutely. have campaign yeah. material and all that. And he says... I don't know what it means that nobody's running against me. I said, Dale, I think it means nobody's pissed. <laughs> he said, you might be right. This was many, this was 20 or 30 years ago. We, we but, but you're right about Eric's constituent services. I mean, when you talk to people, they, they all they like know your service. They, 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 they definitely, they they I, I hear that all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's I think it's because we took something out of the schools. You know, we used to have. Did you, you know when you were in school, you had civics class. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. That was I a, think it's your civic duty to go to vote. Yeah. I vote. I vote in every election. It's not that I like the candidate necessarily. I think I have a civic duty to make my voice heard. It's only one one vote, but I think you have a responsibility to make that one vote register in the political arena. Mm -hmm. And it may not it may not be your candidate that wins, mm -hmm. but. This idea that candidates will run unopposed, I think that's a problem in a democratic system. You have to have the tension in the system. It works when you have tension. And this idea of someone running opposed, it doesn't make you better in your job because 
you can't get better if you understand mm. that if you, you're not being challenged if you're not being challenged to be better right well, let, let me ask one thing I, I is agree. anybody surprised that the writings didn't do a little bit better I mean I didn't expect them to oh I was them. I was definitely going to say that and I did want to say to George's point very quickly one of the best lessons of my life I learned in ninth grade civics mm. and I'll tell you about it sometime it was it was just a a, a way that a teacher put a particular point across to the class <laughs> and and it was powerfully effective. I, George's point is not just a former teacher's point of view. It, it, it was, you know, I know as, and I didn't know at the time that I wanted to be a politician, but I knew that I was excited about civics class and later history and later political science, connecting all of that. But it started with civics class. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, and, and teaching those values to folks and then they carry them on to the adult marketplace is critical. You know? The biggest surprise to me in, in, the, uh, in the numbers from yesterday's uh, city council election in Flint was the lack of um, visibility of the many write-in candidates. I predicted yeah. ahead of time because there were five, I think, at one point, Channel 12 said there were six. Yeah, there were six at one point. But and, and some and of them had some real campaigns. I mean, many write-ins are just kind of off the cuff. Mm -hmm. for, but several of them, Ryzen and Tarot, had really organized campaigns. Steve literature, Barber. Yard signs. Yeah. Steve Barber. That's I right. mean, these these were not lazy, just write me in if, you know, if you if don't you like, like the other yeah. guy. Um, they were out campaigning, and I thought with five or six people out there pushing the idea of a write-in candidate that more people would choose that option. I, you know, just just by virtue of exposure, but that didn't play out at all, and I was completely surprised by that. Although Paul suggests the undervotes, which are high in every ward. Write-in campaigns are the highest level of political sophistication. Most folks- That's hard to pull if, off. If, who, who say, well, I'm going to do a write-in. I mean, you know, they're sleeping. You know, they, they're just dreaming. <laughs> the pros, um, the guy down the, down the road from us, I know him. They call him the mayor of Detroit. He <laughs> oh, knows yeah. something about... He, he pulled one off. He knows like, something about... Yeah. He pulled off a historic... The guy who just won... And there was one in Alaska that Buffalo, was big, too. Mayor, who is the current mayor, was defeated in the primary... Just came back, and he and he defeated the woman who defeated him in in the primary. He knows something about because most folks who, who say they're gonna run a, a write-in, they think that oh yeah, I'll just do a write-in. It if if it's hard to get people to come when your name is already on the ballot, think about the process oh, yeah. of doing a write-in. Yeah, that's 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 about five stories above. Uh, a double base. Yeah, it's it's the difference between getting somebody to recognize your name and to be able to remember, know it, and write it down. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do it the right way. That's a much you know. bigger ask. Well, well, <laughs> you know, you know what happens if they get the spelling wrong? Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Exactly. That was a problem in Detroit with uh, uh, Duggan in his writing campaign. Was that well, was a look, problem. Look at those, and, and this is one where political scientists would. would but I was looking at it a little bit last. Look at those undervotes. And that's that's and what you, I was looking at. Yeah, the undervotes were, were very big and, and where you had a strong writing. In my ward, where Tarot was running, 
there were 117 or 70 write-in uh, undervotes. Right. And what struck me is that in my neighborhood, Thoreau's about three, lives three blocks away from me, less than three blocks away. There were yard signs all over the place for her and just a handful of write-in votes. Uh, look at the, look well, at the ninth war. It's, I think uh, there's more undervote. Oh, yeah. I, I don't have yeah, we're going to take a look at those numbers, and uh, we're going to be back with the second half of Armchair Politics right Hi, I'm this. Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.